the Landlord and Lawyer Podcast with Ben Beadle and Tessa Shepherdson. Hello and welcome to the Landlord and Lawyer Podcast. He's Ben Beadle and he's the Landlord. And she's Tessa Shepherdson. She's the lawyer. And today we're very excited to say that we are going to have a discussion with Justin Bates, who is a specialist housing barrister. And um, he's done all sorts of um, important cases, some of which, um, if you want to go to the Landlord Law YouTube channel, you'll you'll see some recordings of them there. But um, he's a very interesting bloke. And we're going to talk about, what are we going to talk about, Ben? Well, we're going to talk about renters reform and and, and what that holds, uh, touch on a few things that's actually in the renters or that we expect to be in the renters reform bill. It's anyone's guess. Anyone's guess. And we're going to talk about when we think that we might start to see some of these changes and, and get his view on things like the, uh, the you know the delicate balance between the landlord and tenant relationship and how that will impact what we're going to see. Should be a good chat. Yeah. Okay. Right. So onwards. Everybody and welcome. We have today as our guest um, housing barrister Justin Bates, who is uh, quite a senior barrister. He's done all sorts of exciting housing cases, which are really important. And he is at uh, Landmark Chambers, isn't it, it Justin? Is, yeah. It is, yeah. Um, so um, we're going to be talking about the Renters Reform Bill, and to a certain extent, nobody really knows what's going to be in it yet because they haven't published it. Um, but we thought it might be good to have a chat um, about what it could do, why people are thinking about it, and and, and so on. So, um, Justin, why do people think? What what what's the reason why the government think that they want to have a renters' reform bill, and what sort of things are they going to put in it? Whoa, two two big questions there. Um, <laughs> Let's let's deal with the first one first, right? Why the government thinks they they, they need a renters reform bill? Um, I, for my part, I think to understand that you need to understand how the private rented sector has changed from the mid seventies till about now. Um, there may be people listening to this who remember the days of the rent tax. Um, Certainly, lawyers still have to learn about the rent tax because there's still about 100,000 rent tax tenants knocking around. But before 1988, the private rented sector in this country was quite heavily regulated through a series of, of rent tax, where the two main things you had, to, you had to know about were there was a very high degree of, secu- of security of tenure and there was quite significant rent control. Um, one of the things, one of the good things the rent tax resulted in is people being able to occupy private rented sector homes as family homes for potentially multiple generations. One of the bad things they resulted in was a eventually a massive disconnect between the permissible rent and the actual market rent of the property. Um, in 1988, with effect from 1989, the, 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 the private rented sector got significantly liberalised in this country, and again in 1996. Now, I know you know all this, Tessa, but for the benefit of our, of our listeners. And post-1989 and, and, and post-1996, when there was a, a change to how it all worked again, the, the drive was really 
to free up landlords' rights in the private sector, that the creation of the assured and the assured shorthold tenancy was primarily designed to give landlords greater security in the sense of they could get their property back. It was designed to give them uh, a better return in terms of rents. And it was designed to facilitate lending in the private rented sector to enable banks to lend, knowing that there'd be a decent return on their money. And but if it all went wrong, they could get the occupier out. I mean, I can remember the the, the rent act from when I first started in practice. And I can remember advising a young man who had a property. Um, I can't remember whether it was inherited or something. And he wasn't using it at the time. And he, mm. he let it out to a bloke with a family. Mm. And then he wanted it back. And he came to me saying, how can I get it back? Mm. And I had to tell him that he couldn't get it back because mm. yeah. he was a single bloke and the tenant had a family. Well, that, that, that was it. The, the, the rent tax were very much about prioritising the rights of tenant over the rights of landlord. And getting possession back from a rent act tenant was hard. Not, not hard in the sense of it might take you a year. Hard as in you will not do this. It, <laughs> yes. it will not happen. Um, I mean, it's no exaggeration to say that people with rent act tenants were often advised, if you want to get your tenant out, you've either got to go and buy them somewhere else to live use yeah. alternative accommodation ground or whilst i know we're not supposed to pay premiums etc you're going to have to bung an enormous amount of money at this tenant in order to get them to leave and and one of the things the the, the rent tax had done is they it's wrong to say they'd killed the private rented sector but they'd really stunted the private rented sector because landlords couldn't get enough money from their properties which one of the things that meant was happening was repairs were really bad. Like standards in the PRS were terrible because you couldn't make enough money off it. So the 88 Act changes all this. And when you couple the changes in 1988 with right to buy sales and the, and the, de and the decline in social housing, what you see throughout the 1990s, uh, up until I think it was 2016, the private rented sector grows and grows and grows and grows in both number and in importance until eventually it overtakes social housing, which was in 2016, I think it was. Um, and whereas in 1988, it was thought the rent tax had gone too far pro-tenant, the view is now that the assured and assured shorthold tenancy regime has gone too pro-landlord. The idea that people can be required to move every six months is one that government and opposition now don't think is the right balance. They think there should be a greater degree of security of tenure. Um, they disagree on things like rent control still. Nope. I've got a police cars <laughs> rushing outside my building. I don't quite know what's happening there. They, they finally caught up with you, Tessa. <laughs> <laughs> they haven't what? stopped outside the door, so maybe I'm safe. Carry on, Justin. <laughs> what have you been doing? Um, <laughs> but, but, just, but just as... But just, but just as in, in the late 80s, regulation had or was perceived to have harmed the private rented sector, you could just as easily say the lack of regulation now is perceived to have harmed the private rented sector. And where you've got a situation where ben, Ben's going to say there's lots of regulation, and he's right as regards standards, but not as regards security, not as regards security of tenure, it remains the position that a 
family with young kids could be required to move every six months. And that is something that there's now cross-party consensus on, shouldn't be allowed to happen. So that's... Sorry, go on. Justin, I was just going to say, I, I, I don't disagree with any of any of that. That is that is exactly how it is. I guess, how do you how do you weigh the two sides up? Because there will be landlords uh, listening to this that think, well, bloody hell, I've never had it so so difficult. You know, everything's against me. The fiscal environment, the yeah. eviction environment, the way the courts work, uh, you know, the wider regulation, licensing and so mm -hmm. forth. It, you know, are we are we looking at things from a, a, a wrong perspective, or is there some element of truth in that? Um, I think there's two answers to that, neither of which really go to what you say. But to <laughs> dance around your question, one is in, one is uh, I say jokingly, but I do I do I do mean this. Um, asking lawyers to make policy decisions is a really bad idea because the nature of what I see is only cases that have gone wrong. Indeed, yeah. So, you know, I own, a, a tenant is only instructing me if there is a massive problem with their landlord. And likewise, I'm looking at the, I'm sitting at home in my office, looking at the files that are behind me. The cases where I'm advising landlords at the moment are all situations where things have gone badly wrong. We've got one where the tenant's basically trashing the property to the extent that the local authority might take enforcement action against us. You know, I, I, I am not the right person to make housing policy because my experience is not the housing market. My experience is housing Extreme. disputes. Yeah, yeah, because no one brings me their case and says, do you know what, Justin? I've got no problems at all with my case. <laughs> would, you, would you mind charging me just to read my files and check that there's no problems? Yeah, I'm, so, 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 you know, so, so big health warning with what I, with what I have to say. Sure. Um, but, but, but perhaps more seriously, I suspect a government minister would say if they were asked, an opposition spokesman would say if they were asked, it's not about the individual landlord or the individual tenant, Ben. There might be an individual landlord who genuinely does feel, you know, he's, he's, uh, he's heavily regulated. He might be a brilliant landlord and doesn't need all this regulation because he'd, he'd, he'd do it himself. It's not about individuals. It's about the sector as a whole. And the sector as a whole, the legal balance of power, does favour landlords over tenants quite dramatically. That is not the same thing as saying that in every case the law favours landlords over tenants. But if, if you're looking at the structure of our current legal system, the rent tax massively favoured tenants over landlords. The Housing Act 88 massively favours landlords over tenants. As a, as, to, as a broad um, statement. Do you mm. want to amplify that to persuade the land and explain to the landlords listening who think they get a hard deal why they're actually in a better position than the tenants? Yeah, um, the first is, on a market conditions basis, there are, the pandemic is slightly affecting things, but ignore the pandemic for a moment. Broadly, demand for housing, particularly in London and the southeast and other big cities, outstrips supply. So if you are someone who owns a property, you can generally expect to have two, three, four, five potential tenants for it when it's vacant. That gives you a degree of choice and flexibility that others don't have. It gives you a degree of choice and flexibility as to the rent, and you will generally choose the, uh, the highest rent or the most secure, uh, securely employed tenant, for example. Yep. 
it gives you it's not always about pure bottom line sometimes it's, sometimes you want to you, you take a lower notional rent for, for a better guarantee of it it means that um you're generally in a position to insist on for example guarantors for rent um a, a practice which you'll both know has now spread far beyond the student housing sector where, where, where it was initially part of it um you get to choose the terms that get offered there's no requirement that you offer a minimum term of three years there's the only requirements are certain implied terms about repairs that will always be in there you get to choose if you want to offer a break clause um, and ultimately the decision to leave if you want to get a tenant out then assuming that you've got a properly drafted tenancy agreement and assuming you jump through all the hoops you do have mandatory grounds for possession that is why ultimately it favors you that is not the same thing as saying that in every single case tenant landlords are more powerful than tenants but that is why structurally landlords are more powerful than tenants in this sector and and that is the the concern that's behind the renters reform bill um I suppose landlords might say that it's not their fault that they that the government have sold off all the social housing so and continue private, to do so. Yeah, continue <laughs> to do so. So the the private rented sector is is the only option. It's not their fault that there is this dearth of housing. They're just working within the system as they find it. And that's all true, but I don't see how that changes the fact they've still got more power. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, if there was an excess of housing, then maybe the tenants would have more power because they'd be able to pick and choose more. Maybe, but there isn't. No, I mean, quite. I mean, no, there I mean, isn't. I mean, but I mean, you, I mean, you have law for, for a long period of time. I mean, the, the, the Housing Act 1988, what was it, 30 years ago? Yeah. I mean, a lot can change in another 30 years. We might oh, have a situation where it changed again. Oh, I agree. I mean, I, I, I don't need persuading that... So, brought the areas of law that govern key private relationships should be reviewed every 30 years i mean and you and you see that in fairness i mean we're the the last big change to divorce laws was what in the 1960s we're finally going to get to no-fault divorce probably sometime next year true true no-fault divorce society thinks that's that's broadly a good thing what's that taking taking about 60 years to do that probably could have done it at 30 i i would have no difficulty with the idea that things like personal finances, housing, personal relationship law should be reviewed every 30 years or so, because as as market conditions change, as social conditions change, um, I, I, I would think that's a very good, that's a very good idea. Um, mm. But but I can't make, I can't decide, and you can't decide, none, none of us here can decide what Parliament chooses to care about at any given time. Presently, it chooses to care about the regulation of the private rented sector. Um, for my part... I would have chosen to care about the private regulation of the PRS a little bit earlier. Um, mm. This power well, imba- this power imbalance hasn't emerged in the last eighteen months. No, it hasn't. And, um, and why do you, yeah. why do you think it's taken so long, Justin? It's not a priority. Mm. I mean, I'm being cynical about it. I don't think there's a lot of votes in it. Um, but presumably, there's a lot of votes in delivering on the renters' reform as it is perceived, because of the. T- I don't know. Do you, do you think? Do you think there is? I mean, I think I think people like Generation Rent have done a pretty good job, coming from nowhere, lobbying and getting their agenda on in front of ministers. I th- whether or not people vote on it, I don't know. Um, 
but do we think i mean we've got 11 what 10 11 million renters in the uk 2 million mm. landlords mm. you know the tories had a a, a a promise in you know some fairly um uh, you know, uh, uh, constituencies that could have gone either way that where there was a big renter population do you not think they've got to deliver on 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 what that actually means for renters to the detriment of actually that what, what who would normally vote for them la- landlords i think they've got to deliver on the renters reform bill because it was a manifesto commitment Indeed, and, it, yeah. and it was in the queen's speech yeah and whilst i know constitutional norms don't mean anything these days um <laughs> If, if if you stand on it as you stand on it for election and you put it in the Queen's speech, you really you should be leg- you should be legislating yeah. on it. Um, yeah, I, I think what I think is more is more interesting, and this may be to segue into the next part of, of our discussion is a commitment to legislate doesn't really tell you what the content of the legislation is, no. um, and I think it's it's been quite striking that although the government is happy to adopt the language of a renters reform bill they quite noticeably are not describing the content of that bill in ways that would be uh, the ways you would choose to do it if you were say the generation rent spokesman or if you were or if you were shelters lead policy advisor etc i do suspect when the reform comes it will be considerably more nuanced than many people are expecting um whether that's enough in the sense of anyone who says, well, I voted for you expecting to get this and you gave me 30% of it, we'll have to wait and see. Um, I mean, but, but these are areas that should be kept under regular reform. One yeah. of the, I don't want to go back to it, but one of the problems with the rent tax is that no one reformed them. Mm. I mean, once, once, once rents started to get so far behind, once the regulated rent got so far behind the market rent, you could have saved the rent tax if you'd wanted to by liberalising the rent cap. But because you didn't, because Parliament didn't care enough to look at this, you ended up in this situation where the law was, 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 a, was a disgrace for both parties, um, where landlords were trying their darndest to get round the rent tax. All the cases on dodgy company lets or are you providing a licence because once yeah. a week... Once a week, you bring them a cup of tea and claim it's really a hotel. Yeah, all of those cases, as a law student, you're forced to study. They're all from the dog days of the rent tax. Yeah. Because landlords were so desperate to get round it because owning a property was effectively a way of losing money rather than making money. Um, yeah, that, that's my objection to just allowing laws to sit there for long periods of time. Sure. And, I mean, the one thing I was going to ask, Justin, is, I mean, there, there are some things that we that the uh, government have committed to in the Queen's speech in terms of specific topics, haven't they? So, you know, we know that there's a commitment across the board to uh, abolish Section 21, no fault evictions. Mm -hmm. We know there's things in there around lifetime lifetime deposits uh, and uh, redress uh, uh, available to tenants where they rent through uh, Mm -hmm. uh, a landlord. What's what's your take on the impact of, of Section 21 going depends what they replace it with is the cop-out answer if if section 21 is just abolished um with no changes to the other grounds for possession that is a pretty big deal indeed because that is a very very high degree of security of tenure that you've conferred and 
you are causing a significant difficulty for landlords who want to recover possession to sell or reoccupy to sell or reoccupy yeah assuming they didn't use the returning owner occupier ground at the beginning which no one does because it's it's pointless um you've also got to think what they mean by abolish section 21 are they going to abolish it for both um public and private sector because a lot of housing associations would really struggle with the idea that they can't have section 21 because as you know they use assured shorthold tenancies as as a trial period to test you out um and you're also going to need to know what the mortgage companies think about this because if you're affecting the position of lenders then that's another one another concern to think about so if you just abolish section 21 i can see a lot of unintended consequences many of which are negative for both landlord and tenant yep because if you have artificial, if you have too high a degree of security of tenure, we've seen from the rent tax people use their, do their darndest to try and get around it, and that's not great. If you, no- if you abolish if you abolish section twenty one, but change, but add add new grounds for possession, then as long as you add the right grounds, I can see a, a perfectly fair way of restriking the balance between landlord and tenant. And, and do you think land, landlords are? Sorry, I was going to jump in. I, was I cut Tessa off. So I just, it's sorry. true. Yes, go after you, Tessa. I was just going to say that there's been a report by the Letting Industries Council called Beyond Section 21, hmm. where they issue dire warnings about what might happen if Section 21 was um, sort of discontinued inappropriately. You know that, that um, landlords would back out, and you know. Armageddon. <laughs> I mean, I, I'm not. I'm not so sure that um, you know the minister in in this case. Um, it, you know, is I, I think he's open to uh, reforming uh, possession properly. Certainly, uh, from the conversations I've had with Chris Pincher, um, and he he's always spoken on, in two areas, and we get onto this. I'm sure one that he'll only bring forward bring this forward when there is stable terrain. Um, I may well be a very old man by the time uh, we have uh, <laughs> a stable terrain. But anyway, uh, um, uh, I, and I wouldn't necessarily disagree with that, uh, as I'm sure you would uh, understand. But, um, you know, the, the, the other side of the coin is that he has spoken about strengthening the possession rights of landlords. And the point that we've made to him is exactly as you have said, uh, Justin, this is quite a significant change to the sector. I'm not saying it's it's good bad or indifferent the ship has sailed on the decision so you know there's no point jumping up and down and saying we don't want section 21 to go decision has been made the 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 look forward is well what is the new regime one when section 21 uh has has left us and i do think there is a a commitment there to strengthen the possession rights similarly uh you know similar to to how you have have described but of course you know the proof will be very much in the uh, in the eating on that i suppose also we also need to recognize that there have been how many housing ministers in the past hmm. 20 years you know i mean the, the the revolving door of the housing ministry is spinning like mad and um I don't know how long Chris Pincher's got, but will his successor feel the same? I mean, it's it is a problem, that isn't it? I mean, we do need a, a degree of continuity uh, in our <laughs> housing ministers, um, uh, and I think it's ten in ten years or something uh, silly. You know, it's a real uh, it's sort of a 
you know, if you thought the um, the private rented sector was unstable in terms of how long you stay in it before you get evicted, <laughs> then spare a thought for the housing minister. Um, I mean, I'm 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 hopeful that uh, we will have a little bit of uh, uh, consistency uh, both with the Secretary of State and the housing minister because I think that's what housing needs. Actually, I mean, we're just yeah. at such a diabolical point. Um, and this transcends landlord and tenant argument. Yeah, we have a a, a dearth of, of supply, and, and, and we basically have a sector that is slowly but surely becoming not fit for purpose for either the the the, the landlord or or the tenant. I feel. Mm. Yeah. So eight, eighteen housing ministers between uh, two thousand and sorry, since not, between nineteen ninety seven and two thousand and twenty. The longest tenure, two years, Grant Shapps. Yes. Yeah. Didn't he do well? <laughs> yes. Yes. No, but but I mean, this is this is a, again, this is, this is a broader problem. The the reality is that both parties, when they've been in government, and in fact, all three of the coalition in there as well, they've seen housing as a stepping stone mm. um, to to bigger and better things. There aren't many people who are genuinely interested in housing as housing um and that and that shows if it's a stepping stone appointment for you how much time do you really spend getting to know it um, yeah and it, it's a complicated industry because it's heavily regulated and there's lots of issues and evolved of course yes quite. So, yes so, so you i mean that's the other bit the other bit of this this of course is i i i, I can imagine if i'm a if i'm say a, a decent sized employer in bristol and over the border in cardiff they've changed their uh, regulation of the private rented sector so that it's more attractive to live in cardiff at some stage that's going to become an issue for me because my competitor company in cardiff will find it easier to attract people it's a small point i'm not suggesting that's going to be what makes and breaks businesses but with with housing being differently regulated in the different constituent parts of the United Kingdom, it does mean that it has the potential to be a, to be a differentiating factor um, about where you want to live, about where you want to base your business, etc. It's not the biggest factor. I completely accept, but, I'm not, but but nor am I. But, but it's not completely irrelevant to this. No, and, and it's it's also quite interesting, isn't it? Because if you look at the Section 21 debate, you know, the, the, the Welsh Assembly have uh, uh, chosen to retain the equivalent of Section mm. 21, uh, Section 173, I mm. think I think it is subject to six months notice. So, you know, we're, we're starting to get quite a bit of divergence already. Um, in in the and obviously Scotland is you know, way ahead of the curve on some of these things, uh, but even somewhere like Northern Ireland uh, has got um, landlord registration, which they bought in at the same time as as tenancy deposit protection and so forth. Um, it, it just throws up a you know if you're a landlord or or, or a tenant that's renting and moving between uh, different territories. Um, you know, th- th- there's some quite different ball games uh, uh, when once you cross the border. Yeah, so that's not normally the determining determining reason why somebody wants to live in Cardiff rather than Bristol. Indeed. Um, so what are the plus and minus points about removing Section 21 then? What, um, what are the things that the government's going to have to think about and take into account? 
I suppose it's all landlords upping their sticks, selling their properties and investing in something else. <laughs> well, do you know what? I, I stick my neck on the line and say I don't think that that is actually going to happen. Um, it will happen potentially if the replacement and the alternative is, doesn't give landlords confidence. But as I say, in my conversations that I've had, there is a general acceptance that landlords do need to get their property back to sell in legitimate cases or to to move back in in legitimate cases. And, you know, if you ask a landlord why they use Section 21, and I get there is some misuse of Section 21, I don't seek to deny that, but actually a lot of landlords use Section 21 by default for rent arrears, antisocial behaviour, damage, and so forth, so forth. So, you know, they are fault reasons, and fault reasons will be there uh, in in the new regime, um, uh, in 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 replacement of of Section Twenty One. So, I, I mean, I personally don't think that landlords have a massive amount to fear, but landlords, you know, uh, are being heavily leaned upon uh, at at the moment, and they need to have confidence in terms of being able to get their their property back, which is, you know, at the end of the day, they're, they're right to get their property back. I mean, I understand that the real criminal landlords, you know, the, 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 uh, the really bad landlords don't bother to go to court at all. Sure. You know, they'll, they'll just go in and turf them out and threaten them if they don't go. So to a certain but, but extent, that, the law is irrelevant for them because they're not going to take any notice of it. But people like that should be punished hard Absolutely. by the local, by the local yeah. authority and by tenants bringing cases. I mean, the, the fact that we have laws against murder, yet nonetheless there are some killers, doesn't mean that laws against murder are bad. It means that we should, pun- <laughs> means that we should punish killers. Um, yeah. I mean, I mean the, the, these, these, these are entirely different debates in my mind. There is... There's a criminal element of the market, just like there's always a criminal element of the market, and that should be dealt with through the criminal law. There's a professional end of the market, which copes with changes in regulation because it's a decent, you know, it owns large numbers of properties and it's effectively running it as a multi-million pound business. But the real difficulty, I think, is that actually in the private rented sector in England, at least, we have this massive swathe in the middle of a quite an unsophisticated market of landlords where they own one or two properties it's it's the flat you bought before you got married and you and you and you now, now you rent it out and that strikes me as the biggest structural challenge i'm not saying that's good or it's bad but it's a structural challenge for how you deal with the private rented sector it's we don't have an institutional rented private rented sector we have i think ben's saying that it's a couple of million people who own one or two properties. And regulating that is hard. Mm. Not regulating in the sense of passing laws. Passing laws is easy. Passing laws that do something, that actually improve standards. Or... Make people do stuff. Exactly. Yeah. That's, <clears throat> that's the challenge. That's what there needs to be better, better grappling with. Maybe because, maybe mandatory regulation to be a member of a, a, a landlord association would be a good thing to lobby for. <laughs> I mean, I'll not quote you on that, Justin. <laughs> I, can, I can see national landlord registration coming. Sure. Yeah, I, I, I think actually that would be a good idea because it, it could be a way of bringing in lots of other things because a lot of landlords don't do things because they don't know about it. They have no idea that they have to protect their but, deposits but, or that they're that, supposed to do but an that in itself, check. But that in itself is a problem. It is. Yeah. yeah it is. I mean, that's that's not a good thing to hold up. 
if if we are we're 16 years post tenancy deposit regulation coming into force if you haven't managed to get your head around this yet i'm sorry you shouldn't be providing a service as a landlord it's a pretty basic regulatory requirement yes i have a, i have a lot more sympathy with people who miss a change the day it happens yeah uh, but i mean yeah. Tenancy deposit, tenancy deposit is old enough to serve in the army. It's, it's nearly old enough to vote. You really, you really should be able to have got your head around it by now. Well, I, I, Suppose I would... people don't think about it as providing a service. They think of it as an investment. But, that, but we but have that, it surely. But that's because it's, it's because of what of, of, of this, this quite unsophisticated middle that we have. Mm. Very few. I, I, would, I would wager, I mean, Ben will know better, better than me on this, but I would wager, I would wager a, a very small minority of his members set out to become private landlords they just kind of fall into it you get a yeah. pot, you, you you have the flat you bought before you got married and then you buy somewhere else or you've got a pot of money and you can't make a return anywhere else it's not that they woke up in the morning and said do you know what i've always loved monopoly and now i intend <laughs> now i intend to live out my live out my dreams it's i've got some money from my retirement pot or you know from from my redundancy payment whatever it's going to be if I put it in a bank, I'll get 1%, which in reality means I'll lose money because of inflation. So what can I do with it? I can go and buy a 180 grand flat in that new bill down the road and rent it out and get a yield of 5, 6, 7, 8%. That's not someone who set out to become a landlord. That's someone who wants to use their money in the most effective way. But that's the problem because that, that person is a landlord and they are subject to a very detailed regulatory regime. And whether they, whether they think of it this way or not, they are providing a service. I agree. And, and, and Justin, you know, do you think this sort of feeds into the British obsession of, of you know, that, watching these funny daytime TV shows of, of investing in property and homes under the hammer and all of that sort of stuff and, and, and you know, take, taking the plunge? Or do you think it's even less sophisticated than that? Oh, um, I mean, no offence to Homes Under the Hammer. It's it's one of my favourite. I mean, a lot of people shows. don't oh, seem to them. understand the concept of of losing control of a property when it when it's tenanted as well. You know, it's my property, and I can do what I like with it. And it doesn't occur to them that there's all these regulations until they, you but, know, but, join but the land. Why doesn't until it? it goes wrong? Yeah. yeah, indeed. I mean, I, I just wonder, you know, in any type of other in investment that, that, that you would make or conscious purchase that you would make, you know, you would surely do a little bit of due diligence um, uh, you know, around, you know, some of the things. Because there's, there's so much information out there, particularly on on uh, rented housing and, uh, and, and, and so forth, not just from us, but, you know, lo- loads of other uh, resources, you know, the, the government. Uh, the government website is uh, a very very good uh, yeah, resource good for, for 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 renters and i just i just find it really difficult that 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 people would you know go through the a massive hassle to uh, hemorrhage a lot of money in buying a property and then frankly cock it up or not take any interest in trying to do things right i just find that you know i just find that really really odd a lot of people don't but some do sure um but the trouble is, there's no requirement for them to do that, you know, and that's why I think landlord registration might be a good idea because it would, it would be a focus for, um, yeah. for, for, you know. I mean, I think I think there would be some landlords that 
out there that would argue that I'm on you know, this register for HMO licensing, this register for uh, deposit protection, this register for this, that, and the other. I'd be very, I'm not, we're not against um, landlord registration uh, uh, particularly. I think actually it could be quite a good idea linking it to some sort of property MOT scheme where you can see the details of compliant properties and gas certificates and whether your landlord's a member of uh, we a, talked an accreditation about this. scheme. We no, talked we did, about this indeed. with Kate Faulkner in our indeed. first podcast. We, but, it all, it, but it all joins up, doesn't it, in terms of, you know, uh, a step in terms of making sure that landlords uh, or, or that at least tenants have visibility over the quality of, of landlord and property that they're going into. And I don't really think that as a, a responsible landlord, you've got anything to fear by that sort of stuff because, you know, you'll be doing your gas certificates, your electrical certificates, your HMO license and whatever uh, weird and wonderful uh, stuff you need to do. All you're doing is is making sure that the tenants can make an informed decision about renting through you and, and renting your, your property. Um, so I, I can't see that that is a, a, a bad idea. Obviously, we'd have to see how it's how it would work and how it would be costed and so forth. But uh, I can't see that that would be a bad idea at all. Do you think it's likely that the Tenant Reform Bill could bring in some sort of landlord registration along with the other stuff? Well, I mean, if you were looking at it logically, surely it's the sort of thing that you bung in, wouldn't it? Um, not, I've not seen anything I haven't, suggest no. the government's interested in that, though. Um, no, I haven't. I haven't at all. Um, but I, 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 I would I've, take... I've, I've got a vague memory, in fact, of a, a parliamentary question sort of in the last year or so where, where the response was, no, nah, we're, not, we're not interested in that. And, and and you're absolutely right. But, you know, from the point of view of trying to keep things joined up, I would have thought that there is a, an opportunity with uh, landlord redress, uh, you know, to almost, you know, or maybe maybe that's how they're looking at it. You know, the, the, the landlord redress is effectively being a, a, a license of, uh, of 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 landlords through 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 another through another name. I don't know, but yeah, no, I I I, I would have thought that if you were going to you know do something in a joined up way, you might try and put a few more pieces of the jigsaw together. Um, joined up and housing legislation are two terms that. <laughs> tends not to go together <laughs> true but if you think about the renters reform bill it is you know the or will be the most significant piece of legislation yeah. that we've seen yeah. for a while and you know the one thing that we are very much for is is to to move away from this whack-a-mole approach to housing policy and you know i get there's going to be some bits in there that landlords aren't going to like you know i've you know that we, we've 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 accepted that but i do think we need you know to, to look at the sector as a whole and try and deal with the problems as a whole uh you know rather than you know like that 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 fair, yeah. fair fairground game i mean one uh, of the one of the problems is there have been so many reports um over i mean i've been working in housing for years and i can remember the law commission doing a massive report which i think was published in 2006 and they're just ignored. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> they are completely ignored. And um, I don't know whether that's going to change or not. I don't know, is the honest truth. And I think the, you know, the point that we're at at the moment in terms of looking ahead to the renters reform bill is that, you know, there's a, there's. There's, it feels like there's the potential for a lot of water between now and 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 then in terms of the way that things are are sitting, uh, you know. In, and this is no criticism of the government, I should say, but it doesn't strike me as a government that's gearing up for a big 
uh, new uh, bill, uh, uh, to be honest with you. I mean, mean, this is it. Renters Reform could be a... Should be. Could be be a once in 30 years, sweep it all away, let's start again, keep the bits we like, get rid of the bits we don't like, rebuild, build a modern private rented sector. Or it could be amend Section 21, amend Schedule 2 grounds for possession, full stop. Mm. Um, I think that would be a shame. Yeah, I mean, presumably they'd have to amend the procedures as well. I mean, aren't they thinking of introducing the accelerated procedure for different grounds and stuff? They might just do it by letter. Oh, yeah. Yeah, they could do it by letter. That's a new process, isn't it? Didn't you know the Lord Chancellor just writes a letter and that's what you have to do? (laughs) That's that's it, yeah. So so much easier. I'd be surprised if they need to legislate procedural stuff in a primary act of Parliament. I mean, you can can play with accelerated procedure just by amending civil procedure rules. Yeah. I would not consider it a particularly good use of parliamentary time to see them debating... The mechanics of the accelerated procedure—that's the kind of thing you leave, leave to the Civil Procedure Rules Committee. But what they should be deciding is: Are we interested in a minor, sort of minor amendment? But are, are we just amending the Housing Act '88 and putting another plaster and another amendment and a, a new subsection 21 ZA to deal with to deal with uh, when you can't use Section 21 notices, etc.? Or are we interested in starting again? Are they doing something just to shut up the renters reform people so they'll go away and leave them alone so they can do something else? <laughs> are they going to reform it and take it seriously? Maybe. I mean, I, th- I think, I mean, Section 21 is going. I mean, that seems fairly clear. There's, there's, yep. that's going to, that part of the reform will sail through with 500 votes in the House of Commons. It, it will, it will, it is an obvious one. Um, there, there is a policy consensus. But at the very least, there needs to be a rebalancing of the power between landlord and tenant. Um, landlord as class and tenant as class, to come back to what we were talking about earlier. Um, what comes after that, I think there will be genuine debate on. I don't get the impression the government aren't interested in a wholesale structural redesign of the private rented sector. Um, mm. To be frank, to be frank, they haven't done the groundwork for that. No, they haven't. No. Um, I mean, that may not stop them, but but they have. But they haven't done the groundwork for it. You'd expect to see a white paper, a green paper, yeah. a white paper, a draft bill to consult on. Because if you are going to change the private rented sector in total, you are changing not just the homes of sixteen, seventeen million people, or whatever it is now, but you're also changing millions of pounds and billions of pounds of pension funds. You're changing the rights of, of, of mortgage companies. It's a big project. It's not the kind of thing you do in the last year of parliamentary term. And they just haven't done the groundwork for it. So I, I think it will be a, a relatively... It, it'll, it'll be important. Changing Section 21 is important, but it's not going to be... Um, it's not going to be, a, I think, a big structural reform of the whole sector. And and Justin, yeah, there's obviously a lot of transitional provisions that are sort of coming to an end um, at the end of March mm. next year. Um, you know, if I, if you were planning things, you know, you might conceivably plan to go from 
the X, if, assuming, you know, things pan out uh, in a way that we all hope they will, which is, you know, the, the virus, we managed to live with the virus more effectively, have our vaccine and, you know, start to bring the economy back to life and all of that sort of jazz, all, all, all things that are easier said than done. But it would it would have struck me that if if we could exit some of those transitional provisions by the end of March um, next year, that that might segue into a renters reform bill of some way, shape or form. Do you see that happening or do you see there being a gap between the 1st of April and whenever uh, or the the end of the transitional provisions and the the start of the renters reform bill? Oh, I I see a gap. I mean, my, my understanding from friends in, in the various ministries, I'm sure yours would be the same from proper meetings with people rather, rather than Zoom chats catching up, is mm-hmm. a, a load of civil servants have gone off to deal, deal with Brexit work. Yep. A load of civil servants are dealing with COVID. Yep. Um, MHCLG's got a big problem at the moment to do with um, flammable cladding, and a lot of people yep. are dealing with that. I just don't... And the minister, when he's given the chance to talk about it in Parliament simply says i'll do it when the time is right i don't see any indication that we're going to get this in the first part of next year i, I just I, nothing they're doing publicly or privately suggests to me they've done the groundwork for it yet and um, we've also got a pending consultation as well if i recall that there was a a consultation put out on on this very topic around tenure reform and possession rights and mm. and, and and redress that I think was if it wasn't 2019 it was 2018 um, that still hasn't been published yet. Yeah. I mean, surely that sort of stuff has to be published before we you know before a, a draft bill is put out or. Yeah, a, I, mean, I mean they are they are notorious governments of all flavours are notorious for publishing their consultations on the Monday and then their bill on the Tuesday. Yes. Um, yeah. Yes, but but there's just another example. There's just stuff they haven't done yet. This this will happen, but I suspect it's towards the end of this parliamentary term. Maybe as a bit of electioning. Yeah. Um, you know, so that Boris or whoever's leading at the next election can stand <laughs> up and say, you know, promises delivered. I promised I'd make life better for people who rent in the private rented sector. I've abolished no fault divorce. Uh, no fault divorce. Abolished no fault evictions. <laughs> uh, Boris, Boris needs no fault divorce. Yes, just that's right. going to abolish that. Uh, <laughs> if anything, he needs to make it easier. Um, I, 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 I just there are there are legitimate things that are more pressing at the moment. I. I, I would I would put money on this happening towards the end of this parliamentary term so that it's passed but maybe not even in force before the next election. What sort of things do you think are likely to go in it? Well, what do we know about? I mean, we know that Section 21 is going, abolition is going in there and we know that there'll be corresponding amendments to the grounds for possession. We know there'll be this lifetime deposit stuff going in there. Um we know there'll be stuff about landlord redress schemes that will go in there. Um, Do you think they would try and squeeze something else in? They might, because if, if, if as we all fear, it's going to be a whack-a-mole approach to just solving individual problems. I mean, a problem will inevitably arise in the next 18 months, because that's how life works and they might try and do a small temporary fix to it um i mean to give you to give you an example of it, if the 
if the government decides it doesn't like the result in um, the Tree Carroll House in Rouncefield gas safety one, like that's the kind of thing you could amend in a renters reform bill. Just stick in a one clause one to yes. reverse that. If you whichever way, whichever way you want to change it, you just change it like that. I mean, I, I can see there being that kind of tidying up reform, um, but I've not heard talk publicly or privately of anything else big that's going to go in. It's section twenty one and the corresponding changes to schedule two. It's it's um, landlord redress and it's te- and it's lifetime deposits. And um, yeah, what? sort of impact do you think that something like landlord redress will have because you know if you look at obviously i I was involved quite heavily in the tenancy deposits when that came out in 2007 and that was you know a good behavioral changer uh, in part for for Mm. for landlords do you think redress um, a mandatory redress a will work and b will be the appropriate uh stick to sort of you know um have a have a happier sector the devil's always in the detail isn't it i mean one of the reasons it works reasonably well with tenancy deposit schemes is it's it's sufficiently reliable it's not perfect but it's sufficiently reliable to mean that both people both parties get some get get enough of what they want without having to waste their time and money on lawyers and small claims courts about deposits um is a redress scheme the answer if your landlord's unlawfully evicted you, no, it's not. Yeah, yeah. Um, an ombudsman is not your remedy there. Is the ombudsman your answer if you're having a dispute about, um, I don't know, whether the landlord should give permission for you to change the utility comp- utility supplier? Maybe. Um, it, it, it's all going to depend on, on 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 the context. I'm not in, I'm not generally opposed to finding non-court-based ways of resolving disputes. It'd be a particular arrogance to suggest that only lawyers can provide access to justice. Um, But it depends what it is. Serious wrongdoing should not be dealt with by an ombudsman. Genuine differences of opinion where reasonable people can reasonably differ are perhaps the kind of thing you could have an independent third party just just arbitrate. Um, So it's a so it's all going to turn on, on the detail, it seems to me. Yeah. Okay. I'd be, I'd, I would definitely be opposed to having to go and see my landlord who unlawfully evicted me. You're going to have to go and see him in front of a, in front of an arbitrator or, a, or ombudsman scheme. Yeah. Um, okay, right. Well, I think that's probably, um, that's all the points we can really save at the moment, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, until, until there is a bill, there isn't much more to do. I mean, it's, the, the policy position is very interesting. And I, I, I take on board all of Ben's points. There'll be individual landlords who don't feel they have got the whip hand. But mm. as a class, landlords are more powerful than tenants as a class. Um, it's it? interesting the way both sides are convinced that they're the ones with the, with the raw deal. It's, it's, um, I mean, most, most landlords and tenants, they get on, they're okay. Sometimes they're friends, maybe they don't like each other, but they, they have a good working relationship. But, but, there but, are... they, don't, but they don't need to be friends. I'm not friends with, with, I'm not friends with my plumber. He provides a service to me. I give him money and he does a good service. But it's... I mean, most landlords and tenants, they have a good working relationship is probably what I meant. Yeah. 
Um, but there do seem to be a lot of landlords who who are very resentful that they that they can't do this, that, and the other. And there's a lot of tenants who feel very resentful. And they both of them are absolutely convinced that that they are the the one that has that everything's on the other side and nothing for them. And it, because I think the fundamental problem is there. You've got landlords who are in the who are in the business not because they want to be landlords, but because there's no other way of making a return. That could and, be. And you've got tenants who don't really want to be tenants. And their yeah. real objection is that there's nowhere else for them to go. It's, it's, yeah. too, it's too easy to reduce this to a landlord against a tenant. And it's not. They're both grappling with the fact that we've got big, big structural problems in our housing market and big, yeah. big structural problems in our pension provision. And we use housing as a proxy for or, or, or as a as a forum for having other debates yeah the, the problem is there isn't enough social housing the problem is that there isn't uh, easy enough access to land to build your own housing the problem is that if you've got money sitting in a bank it's presently losing money yeah that it's not those problems just come to a head in a housing context it's not that yeah. housing per se is the problem um, yeah, and that's the first. That's that, that's com- my final point. Is and I'll stop ranting. If you, <laughs> if you had if you had a housing minister who was there for more than fifteen months, that's what they begin to see. Yeah, but you yeah. can't differentiate housing from wider problems in the economy. Yeah, it's not a ring fenced area, and if you treat it like a ring fenced area, all you're ever going to do is have sticking plasters, mm. which is what we've seen. Yeah, which is what we've seen. Indeed interesting okay well look, thank you so much justin for coming along and, and having right. a chat with us about it and uh talking me. it through um not, not at all thanks for having me okay right thank you very much thanks justin good to talk to you good and to you. talk take, to you take care everyone. okay ben, that was a very interesting discussion wasn't it very very interesting i think yeah his take on uh, you know where we find ourselves now compared to 30 plus years ago is a really really interesting dynamic and will probably or hopefully give uh, landlords who you know maybe haven't been in the sector uh, as long as that you know some background as to you know what is often perceived to be as a moving goalposts and and how things are are changing so in Incredibly interesting. Yeah, I mean, I'm old enough to remember the Rent Act. <laughs> when I first started, the Rent Act was the Act, um, showing my age there. So, I mean, I've seen it go from where people were surprised that um, at the way the uh, having to get used to 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 the to the Housing Act 1988, through to you know when people suddenly started realising that they could actually get their property back and it was safe to be a landlord again through the period where everybody was saying, well, we're not going to change, you know, even the Labour Party was saying, well, we're not going to change Section 21, we're going to leave that, through to um, tenants' organisations starting to get more and more vocal about it, um, through to now when um, when people are generally accepted that Section 21 ought to go. And it's been it's been interesting to see the change in attitudes through that time. Massively. And, you know, uh, I maybe 
showing my age now, Tessa, but I don't remember um, uh, the, uh, the the Rentac. But I do, when I was a very young man, remember dealing with one Rentac tenancy that was uh, when I was in uh, property management that was very difficult to deal with, and we all had to tread very carefully around it. But I do think it it, it is a good um, you know look back on where we have come from, and and perhaps you know underpins why we find ourselves in in the position that we are in at the moment, and perhaps goes some way to explain. Um, you know, uh, Justin was very clear that he he felt that uh, landlords very much had the upper hand. And, and when you listen to the points that he raises, he makes very, very fair points, very, very fair points. I mean, I know the points that a lot of tenants make is that that they are paying the landlord's mortgage. And at the end of the tenancy, they are left with nothing. And the landlord's left with a property with a mortgage paid off. Well, I hate to be unsympathetic about it, but that's the, <laughs> you know, that is the, the, the very concept of rent. You know, that, if that's I, the if world I, we live in. Yes. Yeah, so, uh... <laughs> um, you know, I guess I, I understand that argument, but I think you know it. A lot of this boils down to his his last comment that that often housing is perhaps a. Um, uh, you know, culminates in all of the frustration why people find themselves where, where they find themselves, if that, if that makes sense. Um, yeah. You know, whether or not people uh, choose uh, to be to be renters um, or whether circumstances force their arm, um, uh, you know, there's, it's probably the latter, I would, I would suggest. But, but that said, you know, I, I still am firmly of the view that despite what Justin has said, that we have very strong relationships in the private rented sector between landlords and tenants. And, um, you know, yeah. we, sh- we shouldn't overlook that. I think the Renters Reform Bill is going to be an interesting opportunity to tidy up uh, some some elements. I do hope it's going to go uh, uh, a, a bit more strongly um, uh, from the point of view of being a more wholesale reform than a, a, a whack-a-mole uh, uh, patchwork quilt of a of a of reform. But time will tell. Yeah, I mean, um, I mean, I hope it doesn't go back too much to the old rent app because then you're sort of bouncing around. You know, going one way, then going the other way, never quite getting it right. It needs to be something in the middle, really. It does. Absolutely. It was really interesting to see Justin talk about the direction of travel towards greater regulation and, you know, the fact that uh, uh, tenants and, and, and landlords are, are slightly at loggerhead, you know, viewing one side as having the upper hand uh, uh, over the over the other. Uh, and, but I do hope that the Renters Reform Bill is going to bring uh, landlords uh, a, along with some of the, you know, the regular inevitable regulation that's going to occur because it it needs to i mean we do need to have landlords um i mean i i know i know a lot of tenants would rather own their own property because when property was less expensive more people bought their own homes and and it's arguable that the reason they don't now is because it's too expensive and and that's another problem um why is property so expensive well it's back it's back to the age you know, day old question of um, you know supply and demand, isn't it? You know, we 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 have a a dearth of of supply. We need to improve supply greatly. Uh, yet we still have uh, in England, at least, uh, decisions uh, around selling off local authority housing still still happening. Um, so you know, it's it's a, a counterproductive policy uh in 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 a way actually if you sort the supply out that you know the vast majority of things will actually look after itself but you know that is realistically yeah. a, a 10 20 year project isn't it 
Okay, well, I think probably we better we could carry on talking about this forever. I suspect. <laughs> and I suspect we'll talk about it again. To be honest, yeah, with you, I'm when sure. we find out what the hell is going to happen, but yeah. But uh, I think we probably better call it to an end. So, um, so, uh, so it's it's goodbye from him, and it's goodbye from her. And uh, thank you for to Justin for for coming along and talking to us. And. Um, We'll see you again next time, folks. With a festive edition, hopefully. See you soon. We hope so.